Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. The title of the message is called Sent to the Widow of Zarephath. I'm not really good at titles, so um, this is just out of the book of uh, 1 Kings, and you're going to find that the reason I title this is because Elijah was sent to the widow of Zarephath. So the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, I'm preaching on that part this morning, but really the word there is, I have appointed a widow there to provide. Because if you use the word commanded, it seems like God talked to her, but he hadn't talked to her yet. She was just appointed by God to be used. She just didn't know it yet. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. See, if you, if you understand the word as I've commanded there, then if you were Elijah, you might think to yourself, uh, she never got the message. Somehow the memo was lost in, in, uh, in, in, in the midst of being transported to her, but that's not the case. She was just appointed to take care of Elijah, but Elijah was going to be used by God to bring her appointment and his appointment into manifestation by giving her the word of the Lord. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, this is the word of the Lord, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. Not, be, not, at, not before you feed me, after you feed me. Now, how many of you know if you had $5 and the prophet of God showed up and says, and you said, well, this, is, this, is, this is the last money that I have to buy my happy meal. Some of y'all buy happy meals. I know you do. This is all the money I have to buy my Happy Meal. And the prophet says, you give me that money to buy me a Happy Meal first, and then you go buy yourself a Happy Meal. You're thinking, no way. But basically what he's saying, feed me first. This is by the word of the Lord. And he's not being selfish, and he's not one of those guys, uh, you know, that sometimes we see on TV that says, hey, you need to take care of me, take care of me. It's not that at all. This is a word of the Lord. And it's not for all times. It's for this particular time. He says, feed, take care of me, bring me, and then you will have enough. And so she does it. He says, for the, thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. How long is many days? It's going to be at least three years. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So kind of introduction, um, Elijah was sent to prophesy to the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel had had a break, uh, like a civil war, but there was no war. They just they just divided, and you had the southern kingdom of Judah, and you had the northern kingdom of Israel. Elijah was a prophet of God. Most of the prophets of the Lord were in the southern kingdom of Judah, but God sent Elijah to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he carried the word of the Lord uh, to that 
uh, part of the country. And part of this word was that he was going, God was going to withhold the rain from the land because of the gross sin that prevailed in the land. 1 Kings 17 and 1, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew, dew nor rain. Well, I guess there wouldn't be any mountain dew at that time. Nor rain these years except at my word. Having prophesied to the king of Israel in our text, God sends Elijah outside of Israel, the land that he was prophesying to. He sends him outside, even farther away from the temple. He sends him outside of Israel uh, uh, to be taken care of by a widow of Zarephath after his brief stint of being fed by ravens at the brook Cherith. Now, here's, here's the question that I want to pose that we're going to try to answer today. Why was Elijah sent outside of the land of Israel, the place where he was prophesying to, to be taken care of by an outsider? Well, first of all, the land of Israel that Elijah was prophesying to was in rebellion against the commandments of the Lord. These were his people, but the people were now worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols, and they had drifted far from the covenant that they had with God. I don't know, we have lots of people coming to the church all the time, and uh, they're going through difficulties, they get saved, they make a commitment that they're going to serve the Lord, and the next thing you know, if you ask them a year or two later, they haven't been to church at all, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved, you know, all that kind of stuff, but their lives are not living according to this work. They're basically serving themselves, they're serving the world, and then they wonder, why is Christianity not working for me? Because you're not worshiping God in the way you live. You're worshiping the way you think you should live. Basically, you're putting yourself on the throne that belongs to God. All right? So um, they were worshiping idols. They drifted far from the covenant they had with the Lord. And that's the reason why Elijah was sent to bring the word of the Lord to that land. And part of that word was there was going to be no rain in the land. I'll just give you an idea why he does that. Because the idols they were serving uh, were Baal and Asherah. They kind of went together. And the idols that they served were in control in their understanding and the way they thought were in control of the weather. So guess what? God sends the word of the Lord and he says, basically, you think your gods are in control of the weather? No, the Lord is in control of the weather. And no matter how much you sacrifice, no matter how much you offer, there's going to be no rain except by the word of the Lord. Okay? So practically, after he gave that word, how many of you know that when there's no rain, there's no crops, there's, no, there's nothing? The economy is going to tank. You're going to be in a situation kind of like where we are in right now. Inflation increases, supply decreases, and everybody's more trying to figure out whose fault is it. Well, they kind of knew whose fault it was. It was Elijah's in their mind. So to pre pre prevent a potential really a retaliation against Elijah for the word that was given uh, by God through him, uh, this was a place uh, because in this place there was no faith, so they were going to retaliate against him. Elijah was sent outside of that land to a place where a Gentile, a foreigner, would respond to his ministry and his work. Uh, he, uh, this woman was a widow of Zarephath. She was going to receive the word of the Lord. And what we're going to find is that when the word of the Lord came to her, unlike Israel, where Elijah was first sent to, who did not respond to the word of the Lord because they could have repented. 
Had they repented, God would have relented. But they didn't repent. They wanted to kill him. So God sent him outside of Israel to a widow who had no clue, really, about what it was to worship the Lord, but she recognized him as a prophet. She understood he was a prophet, and she uh, uh, responded to his ministry and to his work. What we find in this widow that he was sent to is that, first of all, she honored him as a prophet of the Lord. In uh, Matthew 10, 40 through 41, he says, He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So what we mean by this is that when he came, she recognized that there was a, a measure or an anointing of God on his life. And she recognized that, and she honored that. And so a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, particularly in the society that we have in, uh, if you talk about a preacher, which I happen to be a preacher, people don't always have good, <laughs> they don't always honor preachers in the world. They don't always, they just say, oh, those guys just want my money. They're just greedy. They want all of that's what they do. Well, guess what? If you don't value what somebody has, you're not going to receive what they have. She valued what she had. She honored him as a prophet of the Lord. And the second thing we're going to find in her life is she obeyed the word of the Lord that came through Elijah. So what we find is that she was a woman of great faith. Despite her circumstances, she obeyed Elijah's word and did what he said. And because of that, she went away. The Bible says in 1 Kings 17 and 15, she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And because of that, she and her she and he, the, the prophet, and her household ate for many days. So in the New Testament, and what got me to thinking about this, is that we have a reference to this widow of Zarephath when Jesus, after being baptized in the Spirit and overcoming the temptations of the enemy in the wilderness, went back to his hometown. And one of the things that I realized when I looked at this passage is that the town of Nazareth, where Jesus was from, is the same territory that Elijah was sent to in the northern kingdom of Israel. The people that Elijah was prophesying to, not the widow of Zarephath, but the people of the land where he said there was not going to be no rain, are the same people that Jesus grew up around. It was the territory that comprised the northern kingdom of Israel. And in Mark 6, 1 through 6, it says, He, Jesus, went out from there and came to his own country, the northern kingdom of Israel. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And so they, they knew who he was because he grew up with, him, with them. And the Bible says when they knew that, they were offended in him. But Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country or his own hometown, among his own relatives and his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there. Not He would not do no mighty work there. He could not do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And we looked at this before. Unbelief means no faith. 
They had no faith. Then the Bible says he went around uh, about the villages in a circuit teaching, and what we'll find out if you were to read more in the Bible, that to the other places where he went, they did receive him, and they did experience incredible miracles in their midst. But in this place, remember, this is the same territory Elijah was sent to prophesy in. Uh, this, in this place, we find that they did the opposite of what the widow did. Instead of honoring Jesus and believing the word of the Lord through him, they did the opposite. They did not honor him. They said, is this the carpenter? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? In other words, we know he's the son of Mary, but we don't know he's the son of Joseph. Are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. So they didn't honor him. They actually dishonored him. And they did not believe his word. They were full of unbelief, Mark 6 and 6. He marveled because of their unbelief. There's a parallel account in Luke that sheds some more light on what happened there. He began to say in their midst, this scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, recover of sight to the blind. He read that from Isaiah. He said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country but I tell you truly many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months in other words the territory that you live in he's recalling their history and there was a great famine throughout all the land but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian, another outsider, another Gentile. And so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, the Bible says they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. However, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. His own people, the people of Israel, did not receive him or believe him. Instead of honoring and believing him, they were offended at him and even wanted to kill him. In John 1 and 11, it says, he came to his own, his own people, and his own people did not receive him. How unlike the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile who didn't grow up knowing God, didn't grow up knowing the things about God, but when uh, the opportunity came for a man of God that came to her to tell her the word of God, she demonstrated honor, she demonstrated faith, and in fact what we're going to find is that there were many people who had no idea what God was like, who God was, who demonstrated great faith and these people weren't part necessarily of the people of God they were actually Gentiles who came to believe in God I want you to know that I didn't grow up in the house of God I didn't grow up and I'm just telling my own story I didn't grow up learning the stories about God I didn't grow up in the pews I didn't grow up in I, that I can remember I went to church twice before I ever got saved 
And I had no idea what was going on. I remember uh, my mother had bought some kind of book. I don't know what it was, but it contained some of the stories about things that were found in the New Old Testament. And I would read them, and I was fascinated by them, but that's all I know. I didn't know anything. But what I do know is that when I was finally presented the gospel, all of that didn't matter. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm not a good person. I didn't grow up in church. I don't know anything about God. But, you know, you don't have to be a good person. You don't have to have grown up in church. What do I have to do? You just have to honor the word of the Lord that's coming, the message that is coming through the messenger. Honor that which you're hearing. And then in honoring that, you just have to respond to it in faith. It's not your past that determines whether or not, you know, you're going to have a, a, a reconciliation, be able to receive the message of God. It's your present belief in God, not in yourself, like Marty said, not in what I can do, but in what God has done through Jesus Christ. It's by grace you get saved through faith, believing God. But if you don't honor the message, you're not going to put faith in the message. Amen? So in, in the New Testament, we have several accounts of people with great faith, and these happen to be also non-Jews, non-Israelites, Gentile believers. The first one we want to look at is a centurion believer, Matthew 8, 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, which is a Roman soldier, and he's called a centurion because he's the head over a hundred troops. He was a soldier. He was, grew up in Rome, pagan, heathen nation. Serve idols. But yet for some reason, this centurion came to Jesus with an idea that Jesus can make a difference. And he came to Jesus pleading with him, saying, Lord, not even for himself. He said, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. So was he honoring Jesus? Absolutely. I don't, I don't deserve for you to come into my roof. He said, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. In other words, you carry something. You're, you, something about you, I don't understand it all. I can kind of correlate, and he'll do that here in a minute, but there's something, there's power in your message. For I also am a man under authority. So what does he recognize about Jesus? He's a man under authority. I have soldiers unto me, um, under me, and somehow he's cor correlating that you have soldiers unto you. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. You know, sometimes people in the world, they got better training than people in the church. Because people in the church, oftentimes, if we're not careful, they grow up, you don't have to do that. You can't tell me what to do. Me, 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 me. And that's why you never see anything happen because there's unbelief, there's dishonor, there's, there's, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, self-centeredness. But sometimes, when, you know, the Bible says, he that has forgiven much, love much. And in love, when they hear the word of the Lord and they hear God, doesn't matter who it comes through, they hear the word of the Lord, they just believe it. And they're glad for it, no matter who it comes through. But anyway, he says, I, I say to this one, go and he goes, come and he comes, and my servant do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. 
And he said to those who followed, uh, followed it, uh, you know, uh, as surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, the people of God. We would say, not even in the church. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And we would say it this way, many, many people will come from the farthest reaches of this world, from the, from the depths of darkness, they will come and sit in the house of God with the people of God. Why? Uh, uh, because they have great faith. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that very same hour. Why? Because he honored Jesus, saw something on his life, and he believed when Jesus said, go, he believed. And I believe there's another passage that says, and when he went, he found out that his servant was healed from that very same hour and then believed. Then you have another one called the woman of Canaan. Canaan was not in the territory of Israel. Canaan was uh, uh, north. And uh, Matthew 15, 21 through 28 Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she basically, she won't stop crying out. She keeps crying out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, my mission, my sphere is the lost sheep of Israel. And that's who I've been sent to. Now remember, what territory re rejected him? Israel. But what territory is he in? He's outside of Israel. But when he's outside of Israel, this woman is coming to him and said, I wasn't sent to you. I was sent to the people of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered her and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. I can't believe that preacher. I can't believe what he said. Did you see the way he said it to me? Did you see the tone that he used whenever he talked to me? Hey, this is worse than, worse than that. But she didn't get offended. And why, why did she not get offended? Because she was believing God. And she believed at the very center of it all that Jesus was good. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus, I believe he had a great smile on his face and basically was like, you pass the test. And he said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, I want you to know that centurions and Canaanite women from Tyre and Sidon, they didn't grow up in church. They probably didn't have the virtues of church people. But what they did have 
is when they presented the word of the Lord, when the Lord showed up in their midst, they were quick to say, I know who you are, and I believe what you say. And in faith, they submitted to the word of the Lord. And when they submitted to the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord manifested in their life. They didn't dwell on their past. They dwelt on who he was. These two Gentiles were described by Jesus as having great faith. Now, three things that we want to recognize about faith, and we'll be done. First of all, what we need to see is that faith sees. Then we're going to look at how faith persists. And the last thing we're going to look at is how faith obeys. The first one we want to look at is faith sees. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. It doesn't mean you walk around like this. It means that I don't just function but what I see with my natural eyes. I don't just function but what my logic tells me. I believe what God says over and above what I may see with my natural sight. Well, how can you do that? How can you believe what God says even if it's above what you see with your natural sight, what I've been programmed to believe? Because God is bigger and sees the end from the beginning. And while he doesn't always explain himself, he always have your, has your best in mind. And so if he says do this, even if you don't understand, if you will do it, you will find that God's word proves true. It's kind of like a parent. If you're talking to a child and, and they say to you, I'm going to touch this stove, you say don't do that. And they say, can you explain the logic and the physics of that? Does a little child do that? If you explain the logic and the physics of that, do you think that they would understand? No. So you know what you do as a parent? You say, don't do that. Or do this. And then you go and you were to explain the logics and the physics of why they need to do that. Do you think they would get it? No, because your understanding is far greater than their understanding. So they just have to learn how to listen to you and obey what you say. And in some sense, God is far above anything that we could ever imagine, knows more than we could ever fathom. And so sometimes God just says, do this, and we have to believe. We walk by faith. Believing what God says and not by sight. Matthew 15, 12 through 14 says, His disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now why does he call them blind? Because they couldn't see who he was. And they wouldn't believe what he said. Now, this is ironic because in Matthew 20, 30 through, 30, 30 through 34, there actually was some physically blind men. And behold, it says, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard Jesus was passing by, they cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. To a Jew, they would understand that that is the Messiah. You see, the Pharisees didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The Sadducees didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But these, and they were called blind guides of the blind. But here you have two blind men that when Jesus passed by, they somehow could see without natural sight that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. And so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. Their, not, their spiritual eyes could already see. But now because they could see who Jesus was, their spiritual eyes affected their natural eyes. And Jesus said, let your physical eyes be like your spiritual and may you see. And the Bible says they received their sight. And what happened when they could see in the natural? They followed after him. Now, so we looked at how faith sees. The second thing we want to see is that faith persists. Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what I'm trying to get you to realize is that sometimes in order to get to the goal that God has promised, that God has set, we've got to endure some things that seem to be contrary to what we've been promised. James 1, 2 through 3. Now remember, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's, all, he, he's demonstrated what faith was like. It's believing God through the circumstances, believing God through the obstacles, continuing to walk in, in right relationship with his heavenly Father, and we're commanded to do the same. In James 1, 2 through 3, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing or the trying of your faith produces endurance. Luke 18, 1 through 8, Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, or we might say not give up. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I do not fear God, no regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wears me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God... And the implication is, who is not unjust, but he's just, who's not not wanting to intervene, but actually wants to intervene in your life, shall not God avenge his elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In other words, Will they endure the obstacles, the struggles, the seemingly things that are outside of what God's Word promises us? Will they continue to believe until that day when they finally see either the manifestation of the promise or the manifestation of the Son of God? Faith must persist. And the third thing is faith obeys. Hebrews 11 and 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. See, a lot of times we think that faith is just 
having a knowledge of what we're supposed to do. But faith is not faith until we obey, until, what we, until we do what God says, whether we understand it or not. Galatians 3, 5 through 7, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or does he do it by the things that you do or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of the faith of Abraham are sons of Abraham. James 2, 20 and 24, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And from that day that he believed God, he was called the friend of God. So you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone or by faith only. So what I'm trying to get you to realize from this is that if you have a knowledge of God's word, Maybe you didn't have a knowledge of God's Word before you came in here today, but you're receiving a knowledge of God's Word. It's one thing to have a knowledge of God's Word. It's another thing to put your faith in God's Word. It's another thing to respond to God and say, God, I believe you, and I believe you to such an extent that I'm going to place my life into your hands according to what you say. Peter demonstrated faith in God when he saw the Son of Man walking on the water. And when, Jesus, when he recognized it was Jesus, he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out on the water. And Jesus gave the word to him by saying, come. Peter wasn't going out in the water just because he saw Jesus do it. He said, bid me come. And when Jesus said, come, he had a foundation to be able to do what he could not do before because Jesus released the word of the Lord into his life. And when he said, come, Jesus got out on the water, but he wasn't really walking on the water. He was walking on the strength of the word of God. And what I'm trying to get you to realize is that it's one thing to hear about God. It's another thing to come to church, but it's another thing to actually put your life into God's hands by uh, actually stepping out and saying, I'm going to believe you, God. I don't know how. I don't know what it's like. I don't understand all of it, but I know that, that you are word, what you are saying in your word is ministering to my heart. I know that there's truth in your word. I honor your word, and now I want to put my faith in your word by stepping out on the power of your word so that I can see what you promise in your word come to pass in my life. I've told you this story many times. I said, I didn't grow up in church. I don't understand a lot about the things of God. But I was following a pretty girl to church. She's back there in the back. And when, I, and when I went to church, they began to tell me about God. Now, I want you to know, I went three months before I got saved. But the minute that I got to church, I felt this pull of God on my heart. I didn't have the vocabulary. I do now. I didn't understand everything about it. I do now. I don't understand everything, but I understand more than I did back then. All I know is that when that preacher is preaching something about, I just recognize that there's truth to that. And I feel a, something pulling on my heart that I got to respond to that. But I was so shy, 
I wouldn't go up to the front. It was a much bigger church than this. It was like a thousand member church, 600 on the lower and 400, three or 400 on the top part. And so I didn't want to go up as I didn't want to get out in front of these people. But I kept feeling every time I went to church because that pretty girl went to church and I was going. Now, I didn't go to church because the pretty girl was going to church. I went to church because the pretty girl invited me to go to church. And so I went. And every time I went, I felt that pull of God on my heart. I felt that pull of God on my heart. And I, I, like I said before, it's one thing to, I'm hearing, but it's another thing to put your faith in what you're hearing. Well, I never did that in church, but I remember one time I was in my room. It has been about three months of going to church. And while I was in my room, all of this stuff began to coalesce, began to come together. And you see, I, I didn't get saved because I was afraid to die, although I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't. I'm not saying that wasn't a part of that, because you know what? There is truth to the fact that when we die, to be absent from the body, if you're a believer, is to be present with the Lord. But if you're not uh, in right relationship with God, there's another destination for us called hell and the lake of fire, and I don't want to go there. But that's not really why I got saved, although it was a significant reason for getting saved. I got saved not because I wanted a good reason to die well, but I actually got saved because I needed a good reason to live well. Because I felt like I, I had the potential to be a lot of things, but there was nothing that, I, that really interested me. I felt like I was just wandering around like a wandering Aramean. I saw, I saw I felt I was going to school. I had hundreds of hours. I had a hundred or more hours of credits, and, and I didn't have anything to show for it because I was just taking classes. I don't know what I want to be. I, don't wanna, I feel like I have no purpose in life. I have no meaning in life. And then when the gospel was presented to me, I felt like God was saying to me, I'm giving you a purpose and a reason for life because I am the reason for life. And I said, God, in my room, I cried out to the Lord. I was by myself, but the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank God that I was included in that word, whoever. And I was in my room, and I looked up to the ceiling, and I said, God, are you real? But in that cry, of saying, God, are you real? Because I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't understand it all. I didn't have all the scriptures. I didn't have any of that. I just knew. I heard about the Lord. Are you real? And then something inside of me said, because in that cry was, because I need you. If you're real, I want what you have in my life. And that moment that I cried out to the Lord, I felt like all of a sudden this incredible warmth, honey, some people describe it, but it just came down over my head and over my shoulders. And I didn't realize, but I felt like somebody that I had been, at that moment, I didn't know I was it before, but I didn't know until it took, it was relief from me, released from me. I felt like I'd been walking around with a barbell full of weights on my shoulder and those weights were lifted off. And I felt like, as, I felt like Scrooge. I'm as light as a feather. And in fact, in fact, that pretty girl and her uh, friend came over, and they, they came over, and I just said, I just want you to know, I'm saved. What does that mean? I don't know. But I'm saved. I just stepped out on his word. 
And when I stepped out on his word, because the Bible says, whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? By grace have you been saved through faith, not, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Will you save me, God? Your word says that you will. I'm a whoever. Will you save me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe you. And when I stepped down on his word, God met me there. You see, you got to do something. You can't just say, I believe, I believe, and never do something. But when I, when I said, because if you're real, God, I, I need you and I want you in my life. I was giving my life to God. God had given his life to me. And in response to that, I was giving my life to him. See, a lot of people feel like when they get saved, that they're going to invite God into their life. And really, that's not what's happening. Because, see, your life is a mess already, so why do you want God in your life? What you're actually doing is you're giving your life to Him. He is inviting you into His life. But in order to experience His life, you have to die to your life. You've got to recognize my life is the pits. I don't like my life. I'm tired of my life. I, I don't like the way things are going. I need something different in my life. And what you recognize is that what the Lord wants you to recognize is that the life that you're living, you're living without Him. It is a life in darkness, the Bible describes. And there is a ruler over the darkness, and his name is Satan. And he comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you're presented the gospel, you're presented the gospel of light, the gospel of life. But by, by, uh, and it's, it, Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. And so in order to embrace God in his life, you have to embrace Jesus. But in order to embrace Jesus, you're not going to invite Jesus into your darkness. You're going to have to renounce your darkness and walk into his life. And that's when you see the power of God manifested in your life. Now, I don't know why I took the time to talk about that this morning, but I want you to know that God's here in this place. Let me sum up the message, and then we'll give you an opportunity to, to respond. To sum up what we learned today, we see that Elijah was sent outside the land of Israel to Zarephath because ultimately it was outside of the land that he would find a woman of faith. It was her willingness to honor the man of God by faith, to believe the word which he gave to her that led her to receive the provision of God that would carry her through a season of famine with great abundance as she experienced the blessings of God on her life and on her household. In short, unlike the very people of God that Elijah had been sent to before, she experienced a great faith by simply believing the word of the Lord. And so what I would have you uh, to recognize today is that through me, could have been anybody, could have been Bobby, could have been Marty, but through me this morning, the Lord is having me preach the word of the Lord to you. And if you recognize that it's the Bible, it's the word of the Lord, I'm not asking you to believe in me or trust in me. You can go back and study the word of God and make sure that it's valid, make sure that what I'm telling you is true. But if you recognize that there is the breath of God on what I'm saying, 
You have the potential this morning if you honor the Word and if you put your trust in your Word, no matter how barren and how dark your life has been, if you will put your faith in God and step out on the water, what you're going to find is that God has the means to bring great abundance into a life of death and famine. The Bible says, as I said before, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Everybody in this world wants to continually say, if I had more money, if I had more of this, then what you're really saying is then I could buy happiness, I could buy peace, I could buy my family, I could buy health. And I want you to tell you that that money doesn't buy that. Jesus, God, offers it for free. You want peace, he's Jehovah uh, uh, Shalom, the Lord our peace. You want health, he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my, my healer. If you want a provision, he's the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Do you understand? All of that that we think we're going to buy with money, it won't buy it for you, but God in him, he provides it all. Well, what do I have to do? I'm not, as I said before, I'm not a child of God. I didn't grow up in church. You just have to believe. Like this widow of Zarephath, you just have to believe. I believe that there are some Zarephathians in the church today. I believe that there are people here who you may not have recognized it when they first came in. When you first came in, you may not have recognized it. But God had appointed you to be a, a person through whom he wanted to show himself in your life.